The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome to the Wednesday, January 18th electronic meeting of the Ann Arbor Transportation Commission. This meeting is being held electronically, but we intend to conduct it similarly to an in-person meeting. Public comment will be via telephone or Zoom only. To speak during any of the public comment opportunities, please call 206-337-9723 and enter meeting ID 934-6385-2907 or join via the Zoom link. This information is also available on the published agenda and the public notices section of the city website and on the broadcast of this meeting on CTN channel 19. Uh, I will now ask Chris to call roll. Okay, I'll now call roll. I receive regrets from Commissioner Margolis and Sherba who will not be able to attend. Please stay here and from where you're dialing in when your name is called. Commissioner Boland. Here from Ann Arbor. Council Member Agman. Here from Ann Arbor. Commissioner Brogan. Here from Ann Arbor. Commissioner Altamaki. Commissioner uh, here from Ann Arbor. Commissioner Hook. Present from Houghton, Michigan. Commissioner Keeler. Here from Ann Arbor. Commissioner Clayman. Here from Ann Arbor. Commissioner Lee. Here from Ann Arbor. Commissioner Yang. I believe I'm the substitute, uh, Ken Anderson here from Ann Arbor. 
Gotcha. Uh, Commissioner Hess. Here from Ann Arbor. Commissioner Hutchinson. Here from Ann Arbor. Uh, Commissioner Stupka. It's going uh, to be absent. And I think we have quorum. Great. Thanks so much. Um, let's see here. Oh, are we introducing uh, Council Member Dharma Ackman this month or was that last month? Yeah, I think it might be appropriate to do that. Um, oh, okay. I wasn't sure if you had joined us this month I, since I missed last month's meeting. So I am very pleased to introduce our newest uh, commissioner, Council Member Dharma Ackman. She's replacing Council Member Briggs on the commission. Um, I don't know if you want to just like say hi or anything, but welcome. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. And I should say that I'll be working closely with Erica. Obviously, this is a passion area for both of us. So I really appreciate her mentorship and experience. And we're in communication a lot about transportation issues. Um, I'm sorry that I missed the last meeting because I was sick. Oh, um, right. This is definitely, I'm not even sure if I'm supposed to say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. This is definitely the commission assignment that I'm most excited about. Um, big motivation running for office was uh, safe and accessible transportation for everybody. So I'm very pleased to be here and uh, excited to work with all of you. Awesome. Well, welcome. Um, okay. Next up, we've got approval of the consent agenda. So there are two items on the consent agenda, approval of tonight's agenda and approval of last month's minutes. Are there any modifications to the consent agenda? All right, is there a motion to approve the consent agenda as presented? I'll move to approve it. Um, did I hear, was that uh, Larry? Um, and that was you, me. And a second? Um, I see Julie. All right, all those in favor, please physically raise your hand or say yes if you don't have video. Yes. Um, all those opposed? Yes. And any abstentions? All right, the consent agenda is approved. Moving on to public comment. This is an opportunity for people to speak for up to three minutes. Please call 206-337-9723 and enter meeting ID 934-6385-2907 or connect via the Zoom link as described on the agenda. City staff will select callers that have raised their hand using the last three digits of your phone number or your Zoom ID. In order to raise your hand to indicate your desire to speak, please press star nine on your phone or select the raise hand button in Zoom, which, oh, I see there's it's there's a button, like its own raise hand button. It's not in reactions like it sometimes is. Um, you'll hear an automated announcement that the host is allowing you to speak. Um, do we have any public comments? We do, Molly. And one thing I do want to apologize, uh, Chris and I noticed there was uh, a typo that we corrected um, um, but if anybody downloaded the agenda early, um, the meeting ID was uh, inappropriately or incorrectly identified. So uh, just to restate, it's 934. Uh, that's where the typo was at the four. So 934-6385-2907. But we do have uh, three callers. Uh, so it looks like it, it worked. So uh, the first speaker we have up is Adam. Um, Adam, I've gone ahead and allowed you to speak. Go ahead and take yourself off mute and the floor is yours. Hi, this is Adam Jaskevich from the 4th Ward, 1430 Las Vegas Drive. I have two things to talk about tonight, uh, but first I'd like to welcome Councilmember Ackman. It's great to have a 4th Ward Council member here. 
Um, so the first thing I'd like to talk about is East Medical Center Drive Bridge, um, the bridge widening project. Um, I've been following your discussions here as well as the discussions in front of council for um, a while on this issue. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty disappointed in the outcome um, at this point. Um, there was a compromise to add, um, adding a car lane and a concession to non-automotive users um, of the intersection to add a multi-use path under the bridge. Um, but based on what I'm seeing in the memo and other stuff that's been stripped out of the design um, due to some permit issues with the MDOT, um, and I'm hoping council will send this back to be redesigned to eliminate the extra car lane, which will make the intersection worse for pedestrians and cyclists. And it's not in line with Ann Arbor's moving together toward vision zero transportation plan. Um, I, I guess I don't really blame this body too much for this outcome. Um, it's really council council asked for advice and I guess didn't really like the answer that came back from transportation commission. Um, but I'm hoping that the new council does better in this regard. Uh, the other thing I'd like to talk about are the um, crosswalks on Jackson. Um, it's been in the staff reports um, for a while. And this is the first update I've seen in several months about these crosswalks. Um, I, I'm probably everybody's aware there's pretty recently a very predictable crash where a driver hit a pedestrian who's crossing Jackson near Vets Park. And I'm hoping that that incident lights a fire under the ass of the city and MDOT to get those much needed crosswalks in place. Thank you. Thank you. Um, all right, we have another caller. We do, uh, let's see, Clark, I have gone ahead and allowed you to speak. Go ahead and take yourself off mute and the floor is yours. Hi, I'm uh, Clark Chernesky, live in Ann Arbor. And uh, the main thing I wanna talk about tonight briefly has to do with the underpass that's proposed under East Medical Center Drive. Apparently there is something has come up about MDOT and the plan. I know that uh, MDOT received a major grant from uh, the feds to improve fencing and other methods of keeping people off the railroad tracks that Amtrak uses going through town. There was, they held, held a meeting on uh, December 14th, uh, looking at the Ann Arbor getting public input. And at that meeting, they indicated that uh, they were well aware of the Bandemir uh, Barton connecting pedestrian underpass or tunnel uh, to be built within the next couple of years. And they said that they were working with the team on the design team on that so that there wouldn't be a conflict between what MDOT wants to do on um, pedestrian safety, especially fencing uh, at that location. And, and I can't understand why they could not do the same thing in this case. It's not rocket science. Uh, there's going to be some kind of a fencing to keep people using that underpass from getting onto the railroad tracks is something that's been in the works since they were built. You know, the bridges were built about, what, 40 years ago, maybe. So something should be able to be 
worked out on that. One other item my son uh, pointed out to me, and that is Green Road between Plymouth Road and Nixon Road, you know, makes a big curve. And in the middle of that is a school zone area because of crosswalks that children take going to school. He, put, he mentioned that uh, for a number of the subdivisions that go in, empty into Green Road, that the first sign, they don't see the sign at the beginning and end of the school zone saying 25 miles an hour from some a.m. time to some p.m. time. But uh, they come in in the middle of this. And the only signs they see are signs saying 35 miles an hour. He pointed this out to somebody at the city and they said, well, we're following state laws on this, but it's something that's rather confusing to people. And if you go 25, people tailgate because they don't realize they're supposed to go 25 at that hour. So something has to be looked at there and straightened out. And that's all I have to say, except for Happy New Year, everybody. Thank you. Thanks so much, Clark. Happy New Year. Um, and we have another caller. I think. I don't see any hands up. We'll give it just a moment to see if um, anybody needs to like to raise their hand. And I'm not seeing it. Okay, great. Um, so moving on to business, it is time to select a new chair and vice chair. So I will turn it over to Raymond to walk us through. Yeah, thanks, Molly. So pursuant to the bylaws, a new chair and vice chair must be seated by March 1st. Uh, and the election for these positions must occur at least one month prior to when the current officer's term ends. So since our next meeting isn't until mid-February, in order to meet that sort of timeline, we have to hold elections for chair and vice chair tonight. Um, the one thing to note here is that our illustrious leader, uh, Molly Kleinman, is termed out um, pursuant to the bylaws. Um, person can only hold one of the positions for three consecutive years. And so um, Molly has been at the helm of the ship now for three years, so she terms out. Uh, so we will be hope, you know, holding an election for, for both chair and vice chair. Um, I'll just reread what was in your homework guide related to the positions and kind of what those responsibilities are. I'm sure you all can surmise what that is, but just to reemphasize, the chair shall preside at all meetings and shall decide points of order and procedure subject to the provisions of these bylaws. The chair shall have the privilege of discussing and voting on all matters before the commission and the vice chair shall assume the duties of the chair in the chair's absence. And so I think we're at the point now where we'd be taking nominations for uh, either the chair uh, or the vice chair position, uh, which then I would look to someone to form into a motion. Um, um, if, then we go from there. Great, thanks Raymond. Um, I would like to nominate Brett Hadamaki for chair of the commission. Brett currently serves as vice chair. Um, we don't have to second nominate. Do we second nominations or do we just nominate? Um, you know, I think we kind of follow Robert's rules fairly loosely. So I think um, as long as there is acquiescence from the person that is being nominated, <laughs> um, I'm sure that's probably uh, good enough uh, unless this body decides otherwise. Um, well, because then there's going to be a motion and we'll second the motion. So, all right. So, right. I nominate Brett. 
Um, do any other, does anyone else have any other nominations for chair? All right, can I get a motion, right? Can we just vote? Do we have to talk about it? Brett, do you have anything you wanna say? <laughs> no, I, uh, I accept the nomination. Thank you, Molly. <laughs> All right. Um, can I get a motion to elect Brett Hadamaki as chair? Or no, wait, do we do, do we do chair and vice chair at the same time? You've written it in my script as we're doing them both at the same time. So do we have to nominate vice chair now? Yeah, it depends. I mean, if, if we've done it as a single ticket, but if you want to take those actions independently, you're welcome to do that as well. Um, right. So yeah, it's it's really however you want to do it. All right, let's vote. Let's vote on chair and then we'll move on to vice chair. So is there a motion to elect Brett Hadamaki as chair of the Transportation Commission? Uh, I saw Julie <laughs> um, and I need a second. Um, Maggie, um, great. All those in favor, raise your hand or say yes. Yes. Um, great. All those opposed? And any abstentions? All right. Congratulations, Brett. You are the next chair of the Transportation Commission. Thank you. It didn't even take 15 votes. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> vice chair. Um, I would like to nominate Megan Broven for vice chair of Transportation Commission. Um, Megan, are you good with that? I accept. Thank you, Molly. Um, any other nominations for vice chair? All right, we're doing this so fast. Look at us go. Okay, uh, can I get a motion to elect Megan? And I see Brett right away and seconded by Wan Wu. All right, all those in favor, raise your hand to say yes. Yes. All those opposed? Okay, awesome. Congratulations, Megan. You are our next vice chair of the Transportation Commission. Um, very exciting. And so this the way this will work is that I have one more meeting as chair. I will I will chair the February meeting and then um, we will pass the batons. And in March, it will be Brett and Megan, so chair and co-chair, um, or chair and vice chair. Uh, awesome. Thanks everyone. Let's see here. Next up, we have the Transportation Commission annual report. Uh, so in the packet, there's a draft of the annual report as is often the case this time of year, there are some pieces missing, um, but I'll ask Raymond to give a brief overview and we'll talk about it. Thanks, so give me just a moment while I share screen. I'm grabbing the right one. And is that all showing for everybody, the um, report? Yeah, thumbs up, all right. Very good, so um, the template for the report is based off of maybe the report from two years ago, because we could find that template a little bit easier than we could modify last year's. So if it looks a little familiar, um, you have a good memory. So just a little bit of background there. Um, there some formatting, we were kind of uh, dealing in a couple different programs. So um, some formatting issues that we'll clean up, but uh, we wanted to kind of just give you a, a first look at this. Um, we did a couple of things a little bit differently um, that we wanted to acknowledge. So, you know, first of all, we want to acknowledge, you know, we, we did see some transition um, in the commission. So, you know, for example, uh, Aureli Balderrama, um, exited about midway through the year, and then that position was filled by Peter Houck. So 
uh, trying to give a little bit of credit to, you know, multiple members that served uh, on the commission, you know, Tim Hull and Larry Keeler, same sort of situation, uh, Erica Briggs and Dharma Ackman, same situation. So, um, so we wanted to just kind of acknowledge that um, there's everybody's bright, shiny faces. Um, so one of the things that we did is, um, you know, the idea here is to really capture some of the work of the Transportation Commission over the past year, um, the motions and actions. So uh, the first section of the report really goes through all the motions that were made. Um, and one of the things that we put in there at URL's request was the outcome of those actions. Uh, that was kind of, you know, a suggestion at the last meeting was, you know, sometimes it's great to, to know what we did, but also knowing what the outcome of it is. So um, you know, we talked about, um, you know, what was, you know, approved by this commission, what went to city council, um, and what those outcomes are. So, um, you know, we've gone through and added that, uh, we'll probably go back and just double check those as well. Uh, just to make sure that they're still consistent with, you know, what we had identified initially. Um, let's see. Raymond, just a quick question. When yeah. it says forwarded to city council, does that mean that city council didn't approve it or what does that right. mean? Right. So there were a couple issues that I had and with one of the suggestions I'm going to make at the end of this presentation is to maybe give us one last uh, crack at polishing this up for next month for final approval. Um, so for example, one of the things that um, um, I'd have to double check on is, let me see if I can find the one. The enforcement transparency uh, is a good one. That one was a joint resolution between, um, you know, ICPOC, um, the Human Rights uh, Council and CID and Transportation Commission. Um, all three of those bodies passed that. I, I don't know if it ever was approved by city council. Um, Molly, I know you were following that a little closer than I was. Um, so in situations like that, Julie, yes, you're right. The intent here was to say that, you know, the action was forwarded on to city council and then it may or may not have been taken up. Um, let's see. So anyway, that's one of the new, uh, if, you know, if you have any suggestions on kind of this piece of the report, the outcome, um, by all means, let us know if, you know, we can make this a little bit more intuitive or whatever the case may be. Um, or all years, because this is kind of a new thing that we added and, you know, I'm not pretending that we got it right. Um, then the latter part of the presentation really goes through each of your agendas and kind of spells out all the different uh, items that were discussed at each of those um, meetings. Uh, so you can see, you know, you had a, a pretty uh, robust, you know, agenda of topics that you discussed over the course of the year. Uh, and then Chris went in and, and added all the file IDs as well. So then that way you can go into the online Legistar portal. If you ever wanted to look up something quickly, you can kind of use this as a little table of contents to quickly look up, you know, last time there was an update on the lower town study or whatever the case may be. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't give a big shout out to Chris Espedes on this. He really did the lion's share of the work, kind of compiled all this, went through all of your meetings and grabbed all this information and compiled it here. So uh, big, big thanks to Chris on his work on this. Um, and then, you know, the first attachment just talks about the Transportation Commission Ordinance and your enabling legislation, just as a reminder, since it's kind of the backbone of the work that we do. 
And then I think the closing is Megan's remark, if I remember correctly. So uh, there is Megan's comments there at the end. And then that's kind of the draft that we have in front of you tonight. So, um, you know, again, I'm sure you can appreciate it and go through it word by word. I'm happy to go into more detail if you'd like, but really what we're looking for is any initial impressions, any uh, suggested changes or edits or way we, ways we can make it better. So that way, when we bring it back to you next month for final action, um, you know, we can have it in the form that you want to see it. Thanks, Raymond. And thanks, Chris. Um, this looks really great. I love the table of contents. That's the number of times I've gone back trying to remember, like, what month did we talk about this thing? Like, it's going to be super useful to have, have that laid out. I am of two minds about asking to go one step further. The file IDs are amazing, but to actually put links in there. But I also know that systems like Legistar change and that the links might end up being broken in six months. And so I don't, I don't know if you'll have like strong opinions one way or another about actually linking to documents, but um, something to consider, we'll say. Um, any other comments or thoughts? Dharma. I would just say as a new uh, new member, this was very helpful, very organized, uh, a really helpful snapshot to see everything that was accomplished and discussed. So I appreciate the work that went into it. Yeah. Thank you. All right. And so um, Molly, what we were suggesting, even though this is identified as an action item on the agenda, um, staff is respectfully requesting maybe a postponement on that action so that we can come back and finalize it based on some of the feedback you gave us tonight. Um, and then that way uh, we can get it kind of in tip-top shape for next month and then you'll be able to see the final draft then. Sounds good. Yeah. And I know there's, I still have to write my message from the chair. That's always like, I feel like that's always the last piece. Um, so, but yeah, I will get that. I will get that to you as well. Um, Okay, so then is there a motion to postpone action on the annual report until the February meeting? Uh, I see Megan. And can I get a second from Wan Wu? Awesome. Okay, all those in favor, raise your hand or say yes. All those opposed? Any abstentions? Okay. Uh, motion passes, so we will um, return to a final version of this next month and um, vote on it officially then. Um, next up, we have our policy agenda input. So included in the packet is a draft um, policy agenda for fiscal year 2024 uh, for city council's consideration. Um, the draft was developed by carrying forward last year's suggestions and adding new recommendations based on feedback received from commissioners at the last meeting. Um, the intent is that the Transportation Commission and other city advisory committees identify state and local issues and then gives these to City Council Policy Agenda Committee to help them prioritize uh, initiatives and their own policy um, priorities, including lobbying for the next fiscal year. Um, so do we have, do we want to, we're going to take a look at it. Okay. Yeah, thanks, Molly, for that introduction. So, um, you know, again, if you haven't had a chance to, to peek at this, uh, included in the packet was sort of a track changes version. Um, you know, the additions are underlined, the deletions are are, are struck through. Um, 
And, you know, as, as Molly stated, we've historically carried forward previous years uh, recommendations to, you know, if they haven't been implemented, carry them forward and then just kind of add to it. So it's a bit of a, a kind of running list. So um, Molly, if you'd like, I can just kind of highlight the changes that have been made instead of going through e each point. So um, that sounds great. Uh, this this first one uh, is actually a suggestion that came from Pete and and even Clark. I think kind of touched on it a little bit earlier today, um, recognizing that uh, railroads and rail lines represent uh, a, a bit of a barrier to uh, active transportation, uh, non-motorized crossings. So. Um, um, Pete, we kind of channeled that suggestion that you made, I think, at last meeting into this document um, instead of maybe a standalone presentation since um, because it, it felt like it, and this was, you know, Molly and Brett and I discussed that it seemed like a good way to kind of channel that uh, into this document. Um, then um, there was a recommendation, I think, from Forrest to expand this bullet about the RTA kind of tax structure and and kind of expand it to other governmental units. Uh, so in other words, allowing local governments or the ride or others to look at a sales tax uh, instead of just relying on property tax. Um, then uh, the bullet to remove parking minimums uh, was, um, I deleted that, I kind of took some <laughs> executive privilege there, but uh, as I think Wanwu can attest, uh, Planning Commission did implement this uh, late last year or, or I think shortly after summer. So um, that's a that's a big accomplishment. Um, you know, big kudos to Planning Commission and City Council for that one. That's not an easy lift. Um, this is a, a thing that many communities struggle with. So uh, even though it's struck through, it's it's definitely an accomplishment worth noting. Maybe we can add that to the annual. It's probably already in the annual um, report, but it might yeah. be worth highlighting. Um, then, uh, since I'm evoking his name, uh, Wang Wu, I think, had made a suggestion last month about uh, using accessibility, such as access to jobs, food, and schools, as an evaluation criteria for analysis of transportation investments. Um, and again, if if we kind of got the sentiment on any of these wrong, please correct us. You know, we were just kind of going off of some of those dis um, discussions that we had last month and trying to craft language that captured your sentiments. So. Um, uh, the next one, and it was, I think, a similar sort of suggestion, or I think it was maybe also one way to use bike lanes and sidewalk connectivity as an important metric by which to prioritize transportation investments. Um, or that one may have actually even come from Pete. I can't remember. Um, yeah, I, I think that was Pete. I don't think that was. Yeah. Um, all right. So another I, one. I, that, can, I, can I comment on those two yet, or should I wait till the end? Oh. Let's wait. Let's wait till the end, and then we'll, and then we'll discuss. Um, the next one we actually didn't discuss uh, in any particular detail last month, but it was action that this uh, commission took several months ago, uh, or two months or so ago, which was increase the amount of Act Fifty One set aside to the Alt Fund from five percent to twenty percent to better align with climate and safety goals. Um, you've already taken action on that, so we just thought it would make sense to uh, represent that here. Um, let's see, um, there was a past suggestion to advocate for local level policy and land use investments that encourage opportunities for transit supported development. Um, I, I changed that to continue to advocate because I, 
I, I'm of the impression, and again, you, you may feel differently that the um, TC1 um, initiative on you know, stadium and state, it has kind of opened the door to this. So it, it sounds like we're, you know, transit supportive land use and, and things like that is, um, um, you know, already started. So I think um, maybe continuing the work seems um, like a good way to transition that language. Um, and then I proposed a removal of this, the bullet point under it, which says support policy and inclusive zoning that enables transit supported development where contextually appropriate. Um, I was just trying to decipher the difference between the two and, and they felt like they were both talking about uh, transit supported development. Um, if, if they are very different and I missed the mark on that, um, you know, by all means, please suggest to, to put that one back in. Um, then let's see, under take enforcement action and maintain clear bike lanes, um, there was, there's been some discussion among this body, uh, I think even last month about um, allowing citizens to report infractions through a sort of bounty program. Um, so I, I interpreted that to include that here as well. And then the last two big changes were, um, there was a suggestion last month to incorporate traffic calming into all street resurfacing projects. So that's a new addition. Um, oh, and this was the other one moves, which was um, define how transportation infrastructure is to be used uh, and distinguish the difference between streets, roads, and strodes. Uh, and since strodes is a fairly wonky term, I did put a little link <laughs> to a strong town's um, explanation of what strodes are, if you're not familiar with it. And I'm sure everyone on this commission is, but maybe uh, other folks who follow us might not know. So um, that probably will come out of the final, you know, that's just a comment for reference, but um, when it gets finalized, I suspect that comment will drop. So, so those are the changes that were made. Uh, and again, you know, there's no pride of authorship here. If I got any of that wrong, by all means, please uh, set me straight. And there's also an opportunity here tonight to add new concepts to this list as well. Uh, and is the case similar to the annual report? If you feel comfortable voting on, you know, if we get it right tonight, uh, by all means, you can take action on it. It is identified as a action item on tonight's agenda. But if you still need some more time to mull it over, I don't think there's any harm in allowing, um, you know, a little bit more uh, thought and bringing it back next month as well. So with that, Molly, I turn it back to you. Great. Thanks, Raymond. And I'm going I'm to ask you to leave the screen share up. And therefore, if people have um, questions or comments, to actually use the raise hand button so that you pop up and I can see um, who wants to speak. Wan Wu. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think pretty much everything looked uh, accurate. I know we talked about accessibility. Another thing that I actually wanted to uh, mention to think about um, I was at City Hall yesterday um, for the Planning Commission meeting, and there is a map that shows a five-minute access to public parks. I know we just are going through the pros plan and getting that pass. I know City Council, I think, just passed that, or, or the first reading, I think. Um, but uh, one of the things, you know, as we talk about access and accessibility as a metric, um, ensuring that everybody has um, access to uh, parks essentially on a five minute basis as well. Um, and I also wanted to kind of bring up the concept of linear parks um, where we, if we have enough right of way, we could utilize kind of um, 
I, if you guys want to Google kind of like linear parks, and I don't know if this is necessarily a policy related thing, but I just wanted to bring it up as kind of a topic, but that we, you know, there, there's enough areas, I think, that exist to create recreational and non-motorized pathways um, throughout town that could create, again, not only improve access to recreation and parks, but also to strengthen non-motorized transit. So um, as far as, you know, the local agenda, you guys captured kind of what I said last time succinctly, and it looks perfect. Um, and then the other thing that I was uh, just basically trying to get at was possible, uh, a part of that is access to recreational uh, and, and strengthening non-motorized transit, which is something I, you know, say quite a lot, but uh, this idea of creating porosity and strengthening, uh, again, uh, pathways. Um, so that's something I'd love to see, but I, uh, it's a word vomit, so I'm going to actually concede and mute myself now. Thanks. Um, thank you. Uh, next up is Pete. Uh, so I like the idea of including a, a connectivity metric, um, but I, I'm not sure that we've agreed on one yet. <laughs> so I don't know if it's, if it's premature to put it into this document and to ask, ask council to make decisions based on a connectivity metric. Um, so I guess my, my, I guess I'm wondering what would our process be for defining it? I don't remember what, I don't remember whose bullet this was. Uh, I think I, I brought up this, this concept and I, I think the, um, the, the idea that we should be making decisions about how we prioritize projects based on what will improve connectivity more. But if we don't have a way to measure that and a way to analyze two different potential projects yet to say which one is better for connectivity, then it may not be effective to ask for that yet. So if we send this to, to council and say, this is how we'd like you to make decisions, can we also be developing that metric or is there a metric out there in, you know, in planning or in, um, you know, in, in engineering, uh, in the industry that we can adopt and say, this is, this is how we will measure whether connectivity is improved a lot or a little by, by a project. But Raymond, is that, am I making yeah. sense with that? No, Pete, let me let me suggest something. See if it if it gets at what you're saying. So, um, if I understand correctly, we're talking about the bullet that I have highlighted on screen, which states use bike lane and sidewalk connectivity as an important metric by which to prioritize transportation investments. What if I were to take out the use bike lane and sidewalk and use a word like define or develop or something like that that I think is giving policy direction to the city to suggest we should figure out how connectivity can be used as a metric. Does that get at what you're speaking to? Yes. So, um, but is that a job for council? I mean, is that a thing that we no, want to that was, to them? That's what I was going to suggest is that this actually sounds like an agenda item for us first for Transportation Commission to... Um, Pete, I think if you mute while other people are talking, I don't, I'm hearing a feedback that maybe other that I'm not sure. Yeah, there we go. Okay. Um, I think, so I think this is something that's worth looking into, but I wonder whether 
first we need to be like requesting a presentation from staff that comes to the commission where we learn about how connectivity is measured and how like it, what kinds of metrics exist that we then might make a recommendation to council on. That's probably the um, the process that that I would recommend. So I would probably strike this bullet for this year, but then if we can get this into our agenda in the coming year and um, by next year, we would potentially, and of course we can make the recommendations sooner. Um, it doesn't have to wait until next year, but then we can eventually have some clarity about what kinds of measures we're looking for that we would recommend. Does that sound good to you? Yeah, maybe we add this to our 2023 work plan, uh, defining yeah. that metric. I think that's a better way to handle it. Thank you. Okay. Um, can I comment on one other? Um, yeah, go for it. Item? Uh, I guess I don't want to include the word bounty when we talk about um, bike lane, the bike lane process. Would like a way for citizens to report infractions, but I, I guess I don't want the word bounty associated with it. I was going to make a, a nitpick. I was going to make a similar suggestion, partly just because I don't know that we know um, what's allowed under state law at this point. Um, but I think citizen reports, um, you know, and we it might we maybe we need to say something about like in a like some I don't know if we can do this through see click fix or if there needs to be some more immediate kind of reporting mechanism or opportunity, um, maybe not. Um, maybe it's just that the citizen reports become, or the resident reports become um, more data that the city can use in determining um, where we need more interventions. Also, can uh, we say I would also like sorry. I was just gonna ask if we could say residents instead of citizens. Go ahead, Pete. Um, and also to include the word tracking in there. So we're going to report them and like retain that information so that we can compare who or where the repeat offenders are. That sounds good. Raymond, did you catch those changes? Yes, thank you. Um, all right, I'll set for you, Pete. All right, Dharma. So we talked about metric for an evaluation of projects, but what about metrics for showing progress? Um, so maybe it's progress against our transportation plan. One thing that I think about is our all ages, all abilities network or protected bike lanes. Like how are we doing against our goals for those areas? Uh, and how do we present that in a transparent way so that people, so it's really visible to people. And I'm not sure if that's come up before with this group, obviously I'm a newbie, but just something that I get asked about a lot. How are we doing on our bike lanes? I, you know, I think it was in one of the public comments included in this, it comes up quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, so with this, are you thinking like another, adding a bullet about um, tracking and reporting on progress towards like stated goals. Maybe we could say towards our uh, moving uh, together towards vision zero goals. Yeah. Um, and maybe call out specifically the all ages and abilities bike network and perhaps sidewalk apps as like two easily measurable yeah. things because we can just go by miles added every year. 
Yep. Cool. So that would be a new bullet. Other questions or comments or additions? I have one change to suggest that um, one we all want your feedback on, which is in the, the new bullet about using accessibility as an evaluation criteria. I think we're using that term accessibility. Um, I, I, I want us to be careful to use the t word accessibility when we're talking about access for people with disabilities. I think it can get muddy. Um, and it seems like this bullet is not about access for people with disabilities. It's about um, something more like maybe proximity or travel time, travel distance. And I wonder if we can use like a, a slightly more specific or precise word here instead of accessibility. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll I totally understand where you're coming from. And I, I think I need to think about that a little further. Um, the intent is we have production zones, right, where trips are generated, so where people live, and then we'll have attraction zones where they are trying to get to, right? So what are the choices that people have? And if somebody wants to get to somewhere, do they have an option? And so measuring that is like, how can we connect people with the production zones and the attraction zones and creating that access? But I also hear you on this um, you don't want kind of a dual meaning issue or, or ambiguity. So I hear you. I don't know the best way to address it right now, but I'll have to probably think on it and get back to you. So we could probably table that for a bit, but I think that's a, definitely a legitimate comment. I mean, I wonder if we could literally just say use access to jobs, food, school, et cetera, as an evaluation criteria, just like take out the word accessibility and go straight to, cause when, cause it, I think it's clear enough when we say access to jobs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah sure. If that's yep. if that's amenable to you, okay. Yes. Yeah. I'm cool with that. Great. Um. So it sounds like we've got a few more adjustments to this um. To the policy recommendations this year, um. Is this Raymond? Is this something where we would vote on it as amended, or would it? Would we wait until next month? It's it's up to you. What I would what I would probably recommend is since there are a, a fair number of tweaks, it would be a very fairly complicated and maybe hard to follow motion if we uh, try to capture all that. So um, if you all aren't opposed to it, allow me to kind of go back, rework it based on the feedback you've given tonight. And then that way we'll bring you a clean version. So it's clear what it is you're voting on. Um, I took some good notes and Chris takes good notes. We'll compare those. We can always rewatch the, the tape. Um, and then, and, and again, it also affords you all the opportunity. If you, something else pops into your mind in the next couple of weeks, you can send that to us and we can, can get it on there as well. Awesome. That sounds great. Um, can we, do we need to vote to postpone or can we just hold it until next month? Uh, your discretion. I mean, yeah, it, it's identified as an action item, but we always like if if there's the possibility of action, we put it on as an action item. So if you want to uh, make it official and postpone it till next month, um, that's fine. Um, but if there's consensus to do that as well, I, you know, All right. I think we can just we can just hold until next month. Um, but this is looking really good. Um, thank you all for your work on this. Um, Moving on to information and discussion, we've got the Vision Zero Implementation Committee update with Stacey Meekins and Suzanne Flowers. 
Hey, everyone. Let me um, just pull up my slideshow here. It's good to see everybody again, or most of you. And I can share my screen, right? Yeah, yeah I need to co-host, so hopefully you should be able to. But if you have any difficulty, let me know. I have your deck up. There we go. It's coming through. Yep, I'm good. Great. Well, thanks for having me tonight. Um, here to give you an update on the work that we've been doing with staff on developing an implementation and action plan for following up on Ann Arbor moving together towards Vision Zero. Um, I know that you've been getting updates along the way, so hopefully some of this is not as familiar to you, but feel free to stop me with any questions. So I'm gonna run through uh, each of these items fairly briefly. So we're not gonna, it looks like a long agenda, but it's not gonna take all that long. Um, we have a number of different components that we've been working on. So I just wanted to touch on all of them. So first we have the annual snapshot, which is what we have started calling the annual report um, because you can't, we just found, found that it was, too much to wrap your arms around trying to like do a comprehensive report on, on the plan and really not sustainable on an annual basis. So we've developed, we are developing what is called an annual snapshot that will be a web-based um, web document that is more interactive. So if you're familiar with the speed management program website, it's a similar format to that. It's called a story map. And this is uh, kind of what it'll look like on screen. You'll just scroll through these different sections. So here, um, this line here are the different sections that will be reported on. So there's a background on you know, what the plan is, what the snapshot is, an update on five-year crash trends. So this will be your um, static update every year of what has happened in the previous five years. There's often a little bit of a lag, so it's not necessarily, it doesn't take us through 2022 in this case, but 2021 is um, fairly recent in terms of crash data. And then the, the bulk of it is a report on the 2022 achievements. And we've broken that down this year into three sections. There are a number of systemic changes that we've been working with staff to develop. And then there are safety enhancements that the kind of physical things you see on the ground. And then there are also policies that are in support of Vision Zero and safety. Um, so in the systemic changes, we work walk people through what the speed management program is. In that case, it's really a link to the, that website since it's its own program own website. Um, the quick build program, which is kind of a new project delivery process for the city of Ann Arbor. And then safe systems process changes, which I'll be going through here later. So I don't want to get into it too much detail here. Um, then this middle section, the safety enhancements, that will be an update, a reporting on the, like I said before, the physical changes that have gone in. Um, so that might be new and upgraded bike routes, 
new and upgraded pedestrian crossings, sidewalk gap infills, left turn traffic calming. Um, this is not like necessarily an exhaustive list of what will be in the snapshot each year, but uh, this captures what we're what we're seeing this year. And then in the policy section for this past year, there was the resolution to restrict turns on red, the TC1 district zoning, transit millage, the community climate action millage that we think are all supportive of vision zero and safety, tra transportation safety. Um, the community engagement section, I, I don't have a slide on it here because I have a few images later on, um, but that's also including a description of the Vision Zero Implementation Committee itself and a number of um, meetings that have been going on in support of the Vision Zero Action Plan or other um, related initiatives. So I also want to touch on um, in detail in the Safe Systems Update. Uh, is anybody, is everybody familiar is anybody not familiar with what Safe Systems is? I don't see any hands, so most of you sounds like are familiar. Um, well, just a, a brief background. It's, it's an approach to transportation planning and design that anticipates human error, recognizes that humans are not perfect and that we need to design and operate our streets to anticipate that. And, uh, maintain a safe environment and not rely on people to just drive perfectly and operate perfectly in the right of way. So what does that mean for uh, the city of Ann Arbor functionally? It means that we need to design streets that are more forgiving, uh, that encourage slower speeds. We need to also focus on areas of highest need. So that's, um, you know, back to the, the same things we talked about in the moving together plan of you know, identifying data-driven, identifying where the highest needs are in a data-driven approach. Um, and then make sure that the safety improvements are routine and they're integrated in our processes. And so they're not like one-off special projects, but they're happening all the time. So what this translates to, we, we had a meeting couple meetings with staff about existing processes and how projects get done today and identified the, the, the highest, the, the most areas where there was the most opportunity for some safe systems updates. Um, and so we ended up with a few topics that we're developing technical memorandum around that the city can uh, take and, and use to implement some changes to existing processes. So the first memo is about maintenance of traffic. And what that means is the maintaining the, the traffic uh, operations during construction that happens in the right of way that might impact the regular traffic operations. So developing um, some strategies, some precedents, and um, some examples from peer cities on how to accommodate in particular vulnerable users in those situations and not just um, kind of accepting that there's this temporary situation and maybe we can't walk through an area instead helping to 
think through, uh, make make that not acceptable, and, and make sure that we are we are designing an appropriate detour and appropriate accommodations for the most vulnerable users. Um, so the second technical memorandum is about integrating those safety improvements in all projects. And so what we've been working with the city on is developing a checklist that they can use for um, capital preventive maintenance projects and street resurfacing projects to make sure that every time a street gets touched, it's an opportunity to improve safety and integrate tools and uh, capital investments that weren't originally part of that scope and haven't been um, you know, in historically. So like if you were just re resurfacing a road, lots of jurisdictions are just, you just resurface the road. Um, but the way that we're working with staff to think about it is if you're resurfacing the road, you're in that right of way, that's an opportunity to maybe add bump outs or pedestrian refuge island or other improvements that have a safety impact. So all of this is still in development. Um, we're working through the details with staff on what that looks like, but this is that's the idea behind it. And then the third one is a project selection and programming memorandum. And this would establish a process for selecting projects um, based on the data-driven needs, uh, which is the priority side of the equation. So all of that is, is taking the work that we did in the previous plan on crash identification and or crash analysis to identify the focus corridors and intersections, but also factoring in where the, the bike routes are recommended to be upgraded or added, where the community wanted to see new crosswalks or upgraded crosswalks, and bringing that all together to develop one uh, priority score, and then comparing that also to an opportunity score so that the city can most um, efficiently use the resources that they have. So the opportunity score factors in, are we fulfilling multiple strategies from the plan in one project? Are we addressing equity? Are we adding to the, are we taking advantage of existing bike facilities to extend the network and that's a bike network connectivity score? Um, and then there's a feasibility and ease of implementation factor, uh, which both factors in, is it local jurisdiction street, um, but also is it, is it ready for other upgrades uh, based on pavement condition? So that all, that what that does is take all of the projects, the major projects that were identified in the moving together plan and develops a priority for them. And then the action plan really feeds into that. So the action plan is basically like a list of projects um, that is based on this prioritization. And I forgot to mention that we had the VZIC help us with scoring these different criteria. So each of these um, different elements has a score awaiting to it. And like I said, the VZIC helped us to define those those weights. 
Um, so that's led to a long list of projects that we are still working with staff to sort through. Um, this is kind of an overview of types of projects that get done in Ann Arbor. There are major construction projects. There's resurfacing and capital preventive maintenance, which I already kind of hint, uh, alluded to earlier. Those are the ones that would be subject to the checklist. And then we've also been working on this speed management program, which I will talk a little bit more about in, later. There are local street traffic calming projects, and then we have kind of a bucket of other projects, which um, the quick builds, quick build projects that you might have started seeing go in this year are part of that bucket. Uh, so what we're working on now is sorting through that list. I'll just show you the map. This is based on that priority scoring. These are the corridors that popped out as the highest priority. Um, and so now we're working through these and trying to sort them out into some of these projects have already, or some of the corridors have already been programmed through the CIP. So we can dovetail on those and make sure that there are safe, the appropriate safety improvements included in those, or maybe recommend a slight um, modification to that scope, or it's not on the CIP at all. And, and we're looking at the can we do some kind of minor improvements that have enough of a safety impact or is this gonna be a bigger project? Um, so the speed management program is another kind of program in and of itself that we've been working with the city and uh, the VZIC to develop and hone and that this one is out in the world. I assume that you all have seen the website that goes along with this, but this is just a one page overview of, of the program. It tells talks about the why of speed management. Um, and the why is that most of the crashes, the fatal and injury, serious injury crashes happen on the major streets, even though those aren't the majority of mileage in the city. So what it is, is a series of tools that the city can use. And the, in the lower left, you see tool types that we are, we've identified, horizontal deflection, vertical deflection, cross-section modification, which might be reducing lanes or narrowing lanes, adding bike lanes, adding medians, anything that changes how the space is allocated. And then the final category are traffic control devices. So we have prioritized the, the streets. This is a very similar prioritization to the one you saw previously. So they are not, um, they are aligned with each other, but this is encompassing all of the major streets. So this has more corridors um, kind of at, at the foundation. And the high, medium, low are based on the crash history. So those are the scorings that were given as kind of the baseline of what might need speed management. And the overall process, this is again, still draft, but the mapping, oops, sorry, colorization reflects this need score. And um, we're 
developing, we've developed a draft petition so that residents can input their own, their support for a particular corridor. And then on an annual basis, corridors would be selected to have projects identified and installed um, using the tools that are in that toolbox that are all part of that, that website. And then the, the scale of those projects might vary. So the public engagement would need to vary accordingly and the design and implementation um, also would depend on the, the scale of that project. And then finally coming back after implementation for an evaluation. So um, I think this is the final section, quick, oh no, there are two more. The quick build program, I think you all are, are aware of this. Um, this. These projects were identified around this time last year, last winter. We, this was one of the first things we did was to identify what are the opportunities for some quick build installations um, based on where we were seeing the, those high crashes. So there, most of these are tier one or tier two intersections or corridors, meaning they were the highest need from a safety perspective. One exception was Liberty and Stadium. That was selected because we were seeing left turn crashes in particular, and we wanted to implement some left turn traffic calming there. Um, so I'm not going to go through them all. I think you guys are familiar with them, but this was how we got to the um, solutions that were developed. We identified what were the primary safety concerns at each location. So what are the objectives that we're trying to reach with the new designs and what strategies are we implementing? So this is an example along Anne where we developed uh, designs for painted bump outs and high visibility through markings for the bike routes. So I know some of these have gone in this year and uh, the rest, the remainder are slated to go in in the spring. And there's some more, will be some more um, information going out in a, alongside each of these projects so that public who are kind of happening upon them and wondering what is this project they will be able to click on or take a capture of this QR code and it will take them to more information about the project. Um, and then finally, we also worked on some safety messaging and did some engagement with the public. This particular engagement was about the speed management program to kind of socialize the idea of these different tools that we're looking at. Um, and this was a really great board that our subconsultant Smith Group created with this kind of mock street and these little foam pieces of models of the different tools. So you could play around with what a street should look like or could look like if you use these different tools. Um, hopefully some of you guys saw us in action. I know I saw some of you out there for one of them. And then the other component of this was the uh, safety for public messaging, public campaign messaging. And so we developed a series of, of kind of ads or 
uh, social media ads and, and graphics and with some slogans and taglines that the city has available and can adapt as you know projects come online. One, one way we envisioned using this is to help uh, get the word out about those quick builds or other projects. So you could take a picture of that project that just went in and tag it with this one of these line, um, taglines with the hashtag that goes along with it. So I know that was a lot. Um, any questions? Um, I'll just ask people to raise hands. Or I guess you can probably unshare the screen and then we can just see. Um, Brett and, or yeah, uh, Pete and then Brett. Um, that was all great. Thanks for sharing it. Um, I've got a question about uh, technical memo too. Um, and it says that in the project planning, um, crash data would be used to, to evaluate what features we might want to add. Um, I guess I'm also wondering if, if we can measure speed you know, a measurement of speeds that people are actually driving would be a uh, another input. Encourage a design that would get people to drive the, you know, the speed limit that we are shooting for there. Uh, and then also uh, a measurement of some other driving behavior that we that we don't want, like aggressive driving. Um, is there a way for us to? quantify that without, even if it doesn't result in a crash, it still is something that we don't want. How can we include that also in our planning? Yeah, thanks for that. Um, I think with one thing I wanna note on that, on the routine improvements is that, um, all of the, this long list of the checklist items would be considered in each project. And so we don't wanna also, we don't wanna just limit those tools to where we are seeing issues or um, speeding or aggressive driving. Not that those, those are good suggestions, but I wanna also just point out that the idea of this is to be also proactive and that these tools would be, be you'd be seeing them throughout the city um, and it won't be strictly reactive to where there are problems. Um, one other point I'd make about getting that before data, you know, that measurement of speed or aggressive driving or other problems that we can also take after data and demonstrate all the good work that we're doing, right? We can show what we improved when we did these things and that, that also helps to them in the future. Thank you. I wanted to just add to that, um, getting more counts on like pedestrian and, and cyclist um, traffic. Again, I think before data and after data is really helpful. I, you know, I would worry about using, for example, pedestrian or bike counts to be like, look, no one's biking here. We don't have to do anything. I think the whole point you know, there's the line about like, no one's swimming across this shark infect infested river. I guess that means we don't need to build a bridge. Like it's, I think it's that sort of 
uh, idea. But again, I think to be able to have counts to say like, look, no one was able to bike here before. And now a lot of people are, um, would be really valuable, but we have to get, we do have to get that before data. Um, so just to add on to what he was suggesting, um, Brett. Yeah, thank you for the great presentation. As always, um, this might be more of a question for staff, but the technical memos, um, I'm hoping, are these considered binding or you know something that um, staff are taking direction and not just the technical memos, but um, is there anything in the capital improvement planning that needs to be aligned? I know we have software that city leases are purchased to help score our CIP projects already. Is that going to need to be, um, do you see a need for aligning those processes with what's been described here? Uh, Raymond, I, if I may, for a moment, um, I just want to jump in. So that's one of the things that Stacy was talking about with some of the checklists and their processes as a newer staff person that I'm really learning about and trying to dig into more holistically. That way I know those points in time by which we need to make sure that someone like Raymond or Cynthia Renninger, someone from our transportation, you know, specific team are participating in those so that we don't miss those kind of critical pieces. You know, we are already interweaving some of that information throughout the CIP. Raymond did a, a great job this year to make sure that we were including language on all ages and abilities the tier one and tier two corridors, kind of these key biking high level um, areas throughout the plan that we're really trying to focus in on those CIP projects that are brought forward in the plan. So that's one way that, you know, I'm trying to do that. Uh, and that Raymond, I'm sure you have some other uh, items as well. Thanks. Other questions, comments? Julie. I just want to um, agree with the request for additional metrics beyond crash data. I think that's really important. And I think the suggestions that were made are really excellent ones. Thanks. Dharma. Speaking to like a potential metric of behavior that we want to avoid that I see all the time is failure, failure to yield, failure to stop. <clears throat> Raymond, I see, keep seeing you unmute. Well, I, I, I this is really good conversation. I, I just wanted to take a moment to uh, acknowledge Suzanne Flowers by and large, because we we haven't had a chance, we haven't let her out of her cage and uh, to meet you all. Uh, she's been with us now, what, 11 months, Suzanne? Did you start in February of last year? So um, Suzanne has really been a great addition to the team. We feel very fortunate. We poached her from Watts, the local MPO. Uh, she ran a lot of the safety program and the non-motorized stuff uh, for Watts. And so she's a really good addition to the team. And I hope you can agree based on kind of this really good dynamic between Suzanne and Stacy. We're really trying to be thoughtful about how we move forward with, you know, safety and non-motorized, making sure we're doing the projects that are going to be effective, that can help us achieve the outcomes that have been identified in policy documents. Um, and, you know, I, 
I just really want to thank Suzanne and all of her contributions to the team over the, the last 11 months uh, and all the work that, you know, uh, the Sam Schwartz team has done for us as well. We really, we, we really feel like we're kind of on the cutting edge of a lot of this stuff. I mean, we're, we've, you know, we're looking around at other communities, you know, I, I think you've heard us say before that, you know, the good work that's been done really got us in a competitive spot for Safe Streets for All federal grant application. Uh, we think we're a little bit ahead of the crowd in that space, and that's because of the good work of Stacy and Suzanne and, and other members of the team. So I just wanted to take a moment to sing the praises and, and again, make sure you, um, you know, know Suzanne because you're going to see a lot more out of her. She's doing a lot of engagement. She's doing a lot of important stuff for us. And so uh, this was our opportunity to introduce you to her. So, Thank you, Raymond. I appreciate that. Very, very nice boasting of me. <laughs> and it's very nice to put names and faces. I, I do recognize many of you around the my screen this evening, but it's great to formally, you know, have me introduced to you and thank you for such the warm welcome. Yes, we're very glad to have you. Um, I have one more piece of feedback slash question, which is around um, the emphasis on public engagement and community demand. Um, partly because as always, I worry about the ways that public engagement can slow down all of these processes, but also um, because of the ways that um, being led by community demand can somehow end up being, can sometimes end up being inequitable in terms of prioritization. And I know when in early iterations of the Healthy Streets program, um, in addition to demand, staff looked at things like areas of the city with lower rates of, of car ownership. Um, and I'm just curious about um, if there are pieces of this that are addressing issues of equity, both around um, race and class and also, and like what those are. And if not, like, can we get some in there? So I can hop in. Um, so Stacy and I did participate in the Equitable Engagement Committee, um, and we received quite a bit of feedback and information on ways that we need to engage and make sure that we're going to um, communities, specific neighborhoods across the city in a much more mindful, proactive manner that may be, you know, sending a, a pre-postcard that, hey, we're going to hold this public biking event here, um, just to make sure that we're doing a little bit of extra. And that was one way that we also kind of kicked off the speed management program is to make sure that we really heard from individuals outside of kind of the VZIC um, uh, opportunities that we want to make sure that we capture. And I'll tell you, like, I'm participating in the Washtenaw County Equity Challenge right now. It is something that is always at the forefront of my mind as a planner, you know, Stacy and her team. And all of our team have done a really great job of making sure that that is at the forefront. And we're trying to build all of those kind of considerations and components within our checklist, within our prioritization metric and speed management and quick build. So that, again, people don't feel like this is happening at them, that we're actually building this kind of coalition with them and really addressing the things that they want to see instead of us pushing those items onto um communities. So really being much more mindful about that approach as we move um, programs and processes forward. So are there specific things in the checklists that are that you see as like addressing some some um, issues of access or equity? 
I'm not sure specifically on the checklist because that's very project specific um, driven, but I think the speed management program, that petition process unto itself, like, you know, we talked a lot in the VZIC committee about how many people do we need to have? Well, can't we lower the threshold? Can we try different ways that people could engage instead of somebody having to actually sign? Could they submit a video? Could they submit a photo? Like what is their lived and shared experience instead of just like a very typical, let me fill out that form. It may take a little bit extra work on staff's time to go and say, we are looking to launch this kind of a program. What would be a great way to have you share that information back with us? Maybe it's a postcard, uh, maybe a QR code within the community at some of the spaces that people tend to frequent grocery stores, um, you know, libraries, those sort of community spaces. So that's like one specific example. Um, and on the checklist side of things, like I said, that is really specific for projects. But I will, you know, obviously let Stacy and Raymond chime in as well. These are still in development. Nothing has been solidified. We want to have those conversations and make sure that we're hearing this before anything is kind of done because there's, it'll always be evolving, I think is really the purpose. Yeah, and just maybe one thing to add to that, Suzanne, uh, if memory serves me correctly, we did add an equity consideration as part of the CIP development process, whereby the map that was developed as part of Division Zero, um, uh, moving together towards Vision Zero Transportation Master Plan, you may recall there's a mobility fact book that was one of the first deliverables, and it had identified uh, transportation equity areas. Um, which Stacy can probably talk better to the, you know, all the data that went into that. I think it was like uh, car ownership, low, you know, low income households, a combination of several things. Um, we then took that map, the GIS map, and then overlaid the CIP projects on top of it. And then that helped kind of bump projects up and score based on where they landed and if they were addressing or if they were in kind of an, an equity need area. So um, it is something, you know, I'm not going to, um, claim we've gotten it right or we've like solved for it, but I think we are trying to be more mindful of it and factor it into a lot of our processes and kind of institutionalize it into how we think about projects moving forward. Awesome. Thank you. Any other questions or comments? All right. Well, thanks so much, um, Stacy and Suzanne. Suzanne, it's good to have you here for the first time. Um, and I'm sure we'll be seeing you again. Uh, Nina. Next up, we have, oh, we're up to staff report and updates already. Look at us. Um, so handing it off to Raymond. Very good. I will share my screen um, as I march us through the document. Um, hopefully it's pointing at the right one. Yes. Okay. Um, so what's always kind of exciting about the January report is there's a bunch of stuff that's changed, right? Because uh, Nick in particular goes through and, you know, now that 2022 is behind us, he starts to upload all the 2023 slate of projects and some projects that were identified uh, as in like design or planning, then move up to construction. So, you know, if you compare this report to the December, November report, you'll notice a lot of things have moved around. Um, so there's going to be a lot of highlight. The good news is we have a little extra time uh, to go through this in a little bit more detail, but uh, it'll help set the stage for the rest of the year. So 
Um, as always, we start off with the annual street resurfacing project. Uh, so some of the focal areas uh, are going to be bounded by Washtenaw, Gettys, and Huron Parkway. Uh, but there is other work uh, as part of the road bond. So, you know, you may recall in past presentations, kind of in a sort of efficiencies mindset, we try to focus on sort of areas of the city, not quadrants per se, but you know, the, um, the city's divided into these different areas and, it, you know, for mobilization and other reasons, it makes sense to kind of tackle as many roads in, a, in an area. And so, like I said, the area that, of focus this year is between Washtenaw, Gettys and Huron Parkway. Um, there's also some plans for uh, path resurfacing um, along Huron Parkway. And as always, you can go to the project website to get updates on uh, those resurfacing projects. Uh, admittedly, probably the website is um, still probably being populated with new information because a lot of that is still uh, in the works, but um, you'll get your um, annual presentation on kind of the resurfacing program in the next month or two. Uh, and I've already penciled that in uh, when we get to the end of the agenda tonight, talking about next month's agenda items. Uh, Sio Church, um, the project was rebid in early January and the bids came down. Uh, which is good. So it's $600,000 lower than the previous low bid. Uh, and so right now we're hoping that construction on that project will begin in March, 2023. Uh, sidewalk gaps, um, kind of a new slate of sidewalks. Some of them were carried over from last year. Um, so we're talking about Broadway uh, from Broadview Lane to Plymouth, Brooks from Mixedwood to Sunset, Ellsworth Road, um, North Side from State to Stone School, uh, which is substantially complete, but a gap still remains due to a utility conflict, which hopefully will be completed this spring. Uh, Newport on the east side from Sunset to Down Up Circle, as expected to be completed in June. Uh, and then Sio Church Road on the north side from Landmark Court to Winstead and Greenview to 7th uh, later this spring or summer. Um, there's also a sidewalk gap on South Main Street. I think it shows up again later down. Um, but um, that, that's an important project, stadium to Ann Arbor Saline for uh, sidewalk gaps on that. Uh, next is Division Street. Um, some of you have been asking about the bicycle signal um, at Division and Huron. That project is currently underway. I believe the signal is in and actually operational, but there's still some concrete that has to occur uh, down there. Uh, next is uh, State Street from William to Huron is substantially complete. And so we're moving on to phase two, which is from Liberty to Huron. And that's expected to be begin in spring of 2023. And fingers crossed, concluded by Labor Day. Uh, Platt Road from Huron Parkway to Packard. Um, you may recall this project now includes an all ages and abilities bike facility uh, and other pedestrian improvements, including resurfacing, water main replacement. Uh, we had a virtual public meeting on December 13th, and you can find uh, some of the recordings of that meeting on the project website. Broadway Street from Plymouth to Plymouth um, is replacing an aging water main, but then there will be other um, um, kind of preventive maintenance to the existing speed humps that currently exist on there, adding maybe some new crosswalks and filling in some sidewalk gaps on the north side of the project. Uh, we are hoping to start construction on that project this spring. Gettys Avenue resurfacing from Observatory to Highland. Um, 
The big thing to note here is that sidewalk and retaining wall work um, to remove the stairs near Onondaga has been removed from the project, but will still be done as part of a separate contract later this year. Uh, and this project is ex expected to happen uh, this spring. So uh, all those improvements are hopefully going to be done in 2023. Uh, Earhart from 23 to Gettys. Uh, there was a final public meeting held on December 14th, which was maybe a day before your last meeting. Um, we are penciling in to come back to you uh, next month uh, for this project. So you can kind of get a flavor of what uh, the final configuration is uh, projected to be. Um, so stay tuned for that. Uh, uh, hopefully next month we can have time to discuss that. Um, East Medical Center Drive Bridge. Um, I think some of you are following this pretty closely. We had some public speakers speak to it tonight. Um, awarded the construction contract is scheduled to go to City Council on Monday night. Brooks Street improvements, uh, water main replacement, stormwater improvements, street resurfacing, sidewalk gap. Uh, and reconfiguration of the Brooks Vesper Sunset intersection. Uh, design work is currently underway and is expected to begin in spring or summer. Staten Hill is uh, the design phase is wrapping up and final plans have been submitted to MDOT for bidding um, and construction hopefully will begin in April. A South Main uh, South Main Street water main resurfacing project. Um, this is also going to council on Monday um, night, uh, and it is largely a water main project with um, some uh, small uh, pedestrian improvements like bump outs at certain intersections. Uh, here on Parkway, Glacier Way, Capital Preventive Maintenance Projects, uh, this is a, a treatment, a Cape Seal treatment over the existing um, asphalt to kind of extend the useful life of it uh, between Gettys and Hubbard and then Glacier Way from Green to Earhart. Uh, with noting that um, there will be buffered bike lanes installed on Glacier Way, uh, and there will be some uh, lane narrowing along Huron Parkway, and construction on that is expected to start this spring. Uh, South Main Street Sidewalk Gap Project, I touched on it earlier, but again, this is a new sidewalk on the east side of the road along the golf course from South Main or on South Main Street between Stadium and Ann Arbor Saline. Um, you may think there's still a gap. Um, but there's a big development that's going in called the Valhalla development, which is closer to the intersection of Maine, Maine, and Ann Arbor Saline. Um, that will be done as part of that project. Uh, design is currently underway and construction is anticipated uh, next year. Uh, the state trunk line jurisdiction transfer analysis. I think we've reported to you on the past that this was approved by council. Uh, pretty much the big thing to note here is that the study kicked off today. Uh, so Sam Schwartz is also doing that study for us. Um, we did a, a site visit uh, last week, and then the official kickoff was today. And then MDOT coordination, we had failed to, to kind of keep you up to date on some of the work we've been doing on Jackson Avenue crosswalks. I, I know and appreciate uh, the criticism that, you know, it's taking too long. Um, and I, I hear you when it comes to that, but we are continuing to engage MDOT on this. Uh, we had met with them uh, late last quarter, walked the corridor, talked about our plans for where crosswalks should go, um, and uh, MDOT uh, kind of punted it back to us to come up with a design and vet that design back with them. So that's where we're at in the process. We're going to uh, be designing that um, and then getting back to MDOT on it for hopefully final approval on that. 
And then traffic calming, I think uh, we've reported to you in the past, there are four current active petitions underway. There's Granger from State to Packard, Granger from Forest to Olivia, Fulmer from Miller to Foss, and Baldwin from Packard to Stadium. Um, the first section of Granger from State to Packard is the furthest along. They have their second meeting coming up in early February. Um, and then the other Granger, Fulmer, and Baldwin are um, kind of teeing up their meetings as well. Um, and then as soon as those kick off, we will then launch into looking at Manchester from Buckingham to Needham and Grandview from Jackson to Dexter. Um, so we're, again, we're trying to get caught up on some of the backlog of petitions. Typically our target is three per year. You can see that, you know, we've teed up uh, six uh, for this year already. So that's hopefully what we'll be able to get through. Uh, you just got your update on the transportation plan implementation. So don't need to highlight that. Um, under education and encouragement, um, if you are not participating in Conquer the Cold, I do encourage you to do so. So, um, you know, this is a, a fun way to try to get people to think about using different forms of transportation, even in winter months. Um, and so there's a fun sort of gamification process to do that. Uh, I've been logging my trips religiously, and I hope all of you have been as well. And then um, Forrest, or actually, I think it was Ken, provided th this update. I always feel bad stealing their thunder, but um, the ride is making service adjustments to fixed route bus service uh, beginning uh, this Sunday. Uh, it will improve on-time performance and service reliability. Um, and what this pretty much means is there might be some adjustments to um, route time points. So, you know, just check for updated schedules, make sure you're standing at the bus stop at the right time um, uh, to make sure that, you know, you don't miss your bus or you're not standing there too early. Um, and then additionally, uh, work continues on the Ipsy Transit Center upgrade, as well as the Blake Transit Center expansion, which is uh, a companion piece to the affordable housing uh, development that's going at what we call the former Y lot behind the Blake Transit Center. Um, and then if you didn't see it, there are two additional memos attached to the staff report. So the first is related to the East Medical Center Drive bridge pathway. Um, and to just kind of highlight some of the findings of that, the construction of the pathway is not included as part of the bridge project. Um, however, MDOT was willing to allow the widening of the platform as part of the current bridge, which is a good positive sign. Um, the pathway project is identified as a separate uh, capital project in the CIP and will be reevaluated for construction in a future year uh, after MDOT has conducted, you know, trespass prevention study. Uh, pretty much what that means is they, you know, there's always this concern about the interaction of trains and pedestrians. So making sure that that threat can be mitigated to the extent possible. Um, and then also noting that, you know, funding for that pathway has not yet been identified and would have to be solved for if that project moves forward. And there's a lot of support material behind that memo, uh, which I do not plan to go over in any detail. Um, but I'm going to quickly scroll through it. Um, probably Nick would be better suited to answer any questions specific to that. Um, but the other memo that is included in um, the backup is the crash trend analysis memo. So you may recall, I think it was back in November, we presented to you the new uh, crash dashboard. And uh, well, we have two things. We have a, a crash map 
uh, that shows all of the crashes and where they happen geographically. And you can click on, you know, a specific crash or a specific area to see kind of the density of those crashes and what happened. Uh, but then there's a new dashboard or storyboard that we created as well that helps kind of explain what some of those trends that we're seeing and kind of does some, some pre-analysis that you can click toggle back and forth on. Um, and while those were both well received in November, I think there was still some interest from this commission on getting a high level interpretation memo. And so this interpretation memo is attached now in the packet. Um, we weren't going to set aside a specific presentation on it because you've already seen the presentation on all the data. This is just kind of a supplementary piece, but um, obviously I'm happy to, to bring Cynthia back if you want to dive in a little bit more detail. Um, but I've gone through and highlighted a couple quick takeaways. Um, so again, since we have a few moments, I'll highlight those here now. Um, overall crash trends, um, we are we did see 52% um, fewer overall crashes in 2022. Um, and let's see, there, you know, when we go back looking at previous years, 2021, 2019, or whatever the case may be, we're still seeing a downward trend of roughly a 34% reduction of crashes from 2019 levels. So even though during the pandemic year, there was a significant drop uh, and we've ticked back up a little bit, we still, um, we, we tend to analyze data in what we call a five-year rolling average because there are always, um, you know, fluctuations that happen year over year. So it's good to kind of look at what the trend line is. And so even with um, the uptick this year over last year, we're still seeing a downward trend over where we were historically. So um, so there is some good news there. Um, there's maybe even a little bit of bad news, but um, I think that the trend moving is, is definitely going in the right direction, which is good. Uh, we highlight what kind of overall crashes patterns are happening. So rear end, side swipe, angle um, are kind of the leading types of crashes. Um, when we look at the fatal and um, incapacitating crashes, so these are the sort of things that we pay the most attention to when we talk about Vision Zero, there has been a small reduction of 7% in the rolling five-year average, um, which, you know, they're, they're, that is some good news. Um, what always kind of strikes me as a, an important takeaway here is when we look at the fatal and incapacitating crashes, we're talking about, for example, in 2021, we're talking about 17 crashes. Um, that feels obtainable, right? We are a Vision Zero community. So we're trying to solve for these last 17 crashes. Um, you know, now I will say they might be the hardest to solve for, right? Because it's maybe different behavioral things that factored into this in addition to maybe, um, you know, infrastructure changes that are needed. So, um, but the fact that we are seeing an overall downward trend is, is, is something to take note of. There's still work to be done. I, again, you know, you'll never hear me say that uh, mission accomplished until we get to zero. Um, but we, where many other communities are seeing upticks and nationally you're seeing upticks in fatal and incapacitating crashes, we actually bucked that trend and saw a downward tick. Um, so this, here's that comparison, right? So for example, if you look at the statewide crash trend, they did not see a downtick at all in their fatal and incapacitating crashes. They actually saw an uptick uh, in both the pandemic year and last year. So, um, so it's, it is noteworthy that we are kind of defying the odds a little bit in terms of what other communities and, and places across the country are seeing. 
Um, then we do um, a, a deeper dive related to vulnerable road users, specifically pedestrian crashes. And then there's another section related to bicycle crashes. Um, so when we talk about um, pedestrian crashes, we're looking at a rolling average that is hovering around seven crashes per year uh, for pedestrians. Um, but of course, that's worrisome because pedestrians are vulnerable road users as are cyclists. So, you know, they're, they're much more susceptible to severe crashes when they are involved in crashes. Um, and, and then when we talk about cyclists, um, cyclists are actually seeing a downward trend um, and in a more consistent manner um, than we've seen in overall crashes. Um, so again, you'll see that that trend line um, had peaked in 2016. Um, and then, you know, 2020 was kind of our, our lowest year, but it ticked up again in 2021, but still you're seeing an overall downward trend in terms of the total number of crashes experienced by cyclists. So, so there's something positive to, to know there as well. And I think those were the, the, the major points. Oh, no, here's one more. Um, you've heard this before, and I think many of you hold this uh, dear to your heart, but, you know, speed. Uh, continues to be a significant factor in determining the severity of crash. So really trying to keep an eye on that. Uh, Councilmember Ackman highlighted the second piece as well, which is this failure to yield. When we really talk about some of the things that are kind of these contributing factors to the severity of crashes, these are the things that we're monitoring. So, um, so anyway, there's uh, a lot of, and then we talk about impaired driving as well. Um, there's some trend lines. Uh, that one's a little harder to capture and know which way the trends are going. It's kind of bouncing up and down. Um, you know, it's hard to know uh, with, you know, recreational marijuana sales and things like that, how well that's being captured in crash reports, uh, if that's a contributing factor or not. Um, so I think those are the things I wanted to highlight from this report. Uh, thank you for indulging me a little extra time this time, um, but we had some important additions to the monthly staff report that we added that I didn't want to gloss over. So with that, I'm happy to entertain any questions you might have. Thanks so much. And I just, I want to say thank you to you and extend it also to Cynthia for putting together that crash report. Um, I know the dashboard was, I think maybe intended to take away the need to create that separate report, but it's, I find it super useful to have that document. I refer to it and I send it to people all the time. So, um, and it looks great as always. So thank you. I'll extend those thanks and we'll be sure to post it on that same portal for crash reporting. So that way it'll be an attachment that everything is centrally located. Awesome. Uh, any other, any questions or comments? Pete. Um, so I've, I've got two things I'd like to comment on. One is the MDOT trespass study that came up in the conversation about EMCD. Um, I don't know how this group can or should be involved in that, but I do not trust MDOT to make um, decisions that are good for our city when it comes to the railroad tracks. The railroad tracks are a a massive inhibitor to connectivity, and we need to find a way to get our feedback to them. And so I guess I would, um, you know, like to reiterate what, what I've talked to you about, Raymond, that we need to understand what that trespass study is um, and any information we can get about, about how to be involved, you know, how this body can be involved or how 
um, stakeholders in the city can give their opinion. We really need people to talk about how the railroad tracks make them go way out of their way to get to where they're going or how the railroad tracks make them um, make difficult decisions about uh, taking dangerous shortcuts. So we we really need to be in, involved in that. And um, I just don't trust that MDOT will have an outcome that is good for us. Um, the other thing I wanted to comment on was um, the Jackson crosswalks. So I'm I'm really glad that these crosswalks are in the works. Um, I guess my concern is that even if MDOT agreed to them tomorrow, it's still going to be a while before we're able to implement them and able to find money for them and able to get them installed. And I, I just want to make sure that our, uh, you know, that within the city, our, um, you know, public safety and operations and engineering teams are evaluating the place where this accident occurred to see what contributed to it and what we can do to make that area safer until we get the crosswalks that we need. So that's going to be a, the, you know, one of the final solutions that we have is going to be these crosswalks. What can we do in the interim to make sure that we don't have a similar crash? Um, I, I, I just, I feel very strongly that we need to do, we need to pull all the levers that we can at the city level, even if we are inhibited by MDOT, we need to do everything we can to make sure that there isn't a repeat. Um, so that's my, that's my request is, is to understand what is being done in that, in that problem solving process. Make sure that we don't have a repeat. Yeah, and Pete, if I may just add a couple of thoughts to that, um, you know, I, I hear you on both points related to the trespass study. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, you and I have talked about this a little bit. It, the city's in kind of an awkward position, right? Because, you know, you have the state and you have the railroads and we don't have a lot of leverage over either one of those entities. So, um, and, and admittedly, the state's focus is, um, and, and this is not atypical, so uh, of, of state, DOTs and or rail operators, they, they really try to minimize the number of conflict points and how many, you know, crossings. And this goes for vehicles, bikes and peds and, and so forth and so on. So, um, you know, if they are aware of, you know, illegal crossings, they try to figure out ways to, to minimize those crossings, no matter what form of transportation they're taking. So, um, you know, that is, I think, what their focal point is. They're, they're less um, focused on um, access across rail lines by modes of transportation because that's not the charge in front of them right now. Um, and but I, I hear your point, so I, I'm not trying to dismiss, just trying to suggest what you know where that disconnect is happening. Um, and then related to, to Jackson, I will say um, we are currently exploring funding so that if we do get the green light for uh, from MDOT on those crosswalks that we won't have to wait years to, to program those improvements. Um, I actually have just put in some requests to finance with a couple different suggestions like, hey, can we use this funding? Can we use this? And they're investigating that right now. So our hope is that 
we're working on design. We're working on that approval from MDOT. As soon as we have that in hand, we can move towards implementation uh, pretty seamlessly. So, um, uh, you know, we're, we those crosswalks have been in the works for a long time. The, the recent crash um, underscores the importance of them, uh, and we are trying to move forward with them. So, for whatever that's worth. Um, thank you. That's good to know, Raymond. Um, can I also add about about the railroad tracks that people don't people aren't crossing them for shortcuts because it's pleasant. They're they're desperate for a shortcut. And I, I don't think MDOT is going to be successful in in by fencing them off. People are still going to be desperate to find a shorter way to work or wherever they're going. And um if we the more we cut it off, the more desperate they're going to be. I, I, I think that this is a, a losing battle to try and fence everybody off without giving them good, safe ways to, to get where they're going. So that's that's another part of my motivation and, and part of the message that I want to be able to give to MDOT when we have the when we have whatever venue. Thanks. Dharma. I think you answered my question, but I'm just going to ask it. Uh explicitly anyway. So with regard to Jackson, if we get the designs approved and get the green light to go forward, the city pays for installation of those, not the state at all? That's the arrangement as it is right now. So, um, and quite frankly, we think it's important enough. You know, it, it's always bizarre whenever we try to make an improvement on a state facility. Sometimes the city's on the hook for it. Sometimes the state is. It really like, so for example, the crosswalk at the improvement at Ingalls and Huron uh, or between Ingalls and Thayer, the state made those improvements, but, you know, we had been really asking them for a very long time to do that. Um, there was a mismatch between what they were suggesting versus what we were suggesting. And that's why they ultimately took the, the bull by the horns on that. But with Jackson, um, we think it's in the interest of time to just have the city move it forward. Um, and, you know, with uh, you know, climate millage, ARPA, some of the other funding source that's available to it. This is a high enough priority. It's a tier one corridor. You know, there's some major destinations and attractors that we think it really warrants trying to get those in place sooner rather than later. Thank you. I'm not seeing any other questions or comments, so I'm going to move us along to liaison reports. This is a chance for commissioners who serve as liaison to another body or organization to provide brief reports and updates. Wanwu. Uh, just wanted to let you guys know about yesterday. We, um, we were recommending for approval, uh, or we reviewed the fire station number four on the corner of Platt and Huron. I think it's Huron Parkway. Um, what, the reason that I'm actually mentioning this, and I don't think there's secured funding yet to rebuild this thing, but um, one of the issues that came up is they want to make sure that the fire turning lane is safe, essentially, at that intersection. Right now, if you take a look at Huron, it is pretty curved, and so for them to get into that area is pretty difficult, um, and there's a very limited sight lines for the fire trucks. Um, so that was one of the decisions that went into planning to move this right to the intersection. So there is going to be a signalized turn. Um, they are planning to rebuild uh, basically a basketball court and modify some of the parks. 
the reason that I, I brought this up is just because um, that fire station number four, I think it's at like 2145 South Huron or something like that. I think that's the, um, just, just know that there are transportation imp implications that they were thinking of as far as sightline safety. Um, and one of the things that may be important is, I, I, you know, obviously fire safety and critical facilities like fire stations are, you know, paramount to our community safety. But we also want to make sure that, you know, uh, we have safe transportation still on Huron and all along Huron and all off of Platte. So, and so just wanted to give you guys a heads up there. Um, I think uh, basically they're just trying to get it to as close to the one yard line in the event that they do secure funding and it'll be really with city council to uh, uh, hopefully be able to fund uh, this net zero fire station. So uh, aside from that, I don't, uh, I think that's pretty much it from the planning commission side. Thank you. Other liaison reports? All right. Uh, next up, commission member communication. So this is a chance for all co uh, commission members to uh, provide reports, updates, comments. Okay. Um, next up, call for agenda items. So um, this is a chance if you have anything that you would like to add to a future meeting agenda um, to mention it now. We won't go into detail about it um, at this time, but we can always um, talk more. Uh, outside the meeting. Uh, and I think Raymond's going to just sort of give us a preview of what's coming up next. Yes, here's some things we're tracking for the February meeting. So yeah, I've alluded to a lot of them already. Uh, Earhart project and the road reconfiguration and protected bike lane that's going in as part of that. Um, we're probably going to bring that to you. Um, in February or March, we also bring together the, the pavement condition, um, or I'm sorry, the um, street resurfacing and related projects. Um, but then we also have a new dashboard related to pavement condition and the pro program projects that we'd like to show you. Uh, I think that just went live recently. Uh, it had been in uh, internal beta testing mode for a while. So uh, it's pretty snazzy. It's a really good snapshot to see what's going on in the community. And we'd like to show that to you. Um, then based on a, a past recommendation, um, we'll probably bring back the crosswalk design guidelines and design process, especially related to Arborview and how, you know, that played out and, you know, what worked and what didn't work and, you know, why. Um, we also try to get an update from the University of Michigan Transportation Research Institute periodically. And so I'd reached out to Dr. Jim Sayer on that. He thinks this first quarter uh, he'd be interested in that. So maybe February or March as well. And then the two items that carry over from this month uh, that we didn't take action on was the uh, 2022 annual report. Uh, we'll finalize that, bring that back to you for a final vote. And then the policy agenda, same thing. Uh, for fiscal year 24. So uh, we'll bring that back to you as well. And then any other suggestions that you have at this time? Great, thank you. Um, any other agenda items that people wanna see? Okay. Um, next meeting will be held on Wednesday, February 15th, 7 p.m. It will be a virtual meeting. Uh, and if there are no objections, I will adjourn our January 18th, 2023 meeting. Not seeing any objections, so we are adjourned. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night.